All right, folks, very excited to be back here in the Capitol with another legislator, in this case, Senator Donnie Olson. How are you doing, Senator Olson? I'm doing very fine. Thank you for asking. We have been trying to set this podcast up for a while, so finally we're able to, we're, both our schedules were kind of hectic. I think um, yours more hectic than mine. Well, I'm not sure about that. So this is my first podcast on the fifth floor. So the fifth floor is kind of the, that's kind of the finance. Yeah, floor. we refer to the fifth floor of this Capitol as where the money is spent. That's right. That, that. So we have both finance committees at either end of the hallway, the House Finance Committee on one side and the Senate Finance <clears throat> Committee on the other. The Senate Finance, I mean, that room is, you see it on gavel when you watch it, but you don't really appreciate how big it is. It's a huge room. It is. High ceilings, big windows, um, plenty of room. But the seats are hard unless you're part of the committee. And, and now the committee, they expanded it this year. It's nine members, right? Yes, it is. When I first got here back in 2001, it was nine members back then, but it was very unusual. Usually it was a seven-member committee. It has been a seven-member committee until this year. So you, you first came here in 01, you said? So yes, you were... I, got, I got elected in 2000 and uh, for my predecessor, Senator Al Adams, who was in the House and then came to the Senate and then retired and uh, became a lobbyist shortly thereafter and then subsequently... Uh, came down with an illness and he died mm, I remember several, that. several years later. And then they dedicated the uh, house finance room, to, committee room to, in honor of his name. Right, so you're, uh, you're, you're one of the straight to the Senate guys, right? Yeah, I've never served in the house. Uh, unfortunately, I, I wish I would have um, at times, but there are other times I'm glad I never did. Yeah, there's quite a, quite a mix. I mean, Senator, this year, Senator Birch... Reinbold and Kawasaki, they all served in the House before. Yes. But then there's, there's others like you and Senator Von Imhoff, Senator, I think, Wilson, Senator Bishop. They never served in the House. Yeah. What do you, what do you, do you Sh- think? It, Showers has never been Shower, there. Right. Uh, L.V. Gray Jackson has never been there. She was on the Assembly, though, in Anchorage for yeah, nine Keel years. Yeah, has never been there. So do you think there's advantages for the people that maybe they understand the process a little, a little well, more if they were in the House? Well, I think they would, could understand it because you're... Always on top of what's going on. You're always watching because there's so many of you over there ready to go ahead and kind of uh, be be seen on TV. Yeah. You know, so this is my first time really spending uh, t- time in the Capitol, and I ran for the Senate a couple times unsuccessfully. But I'll tell you what, I think if I ever run again, I, I think I want to go in the House. Why is that, that? That's where all the action happens. Oh, that's for sure. You guys are. I'm just. It's a little kind of a little more. I don't want to say boring. It's a, it's a little more. Um, maybe the the higher kind of level. It's not as exciting in the Senate. Here's the way I put it, is that when you're in the Senate, you want to make sure that you get in at a decent time and you get out at noon because otherwise you get to the lunchroom and you don't want to have 40 House members competing for the rest of the food because <laughs> there won't be any food left. And so we have our hours. Uh, we try to make sure we're on time and we've got other lives besides what goes on here in the Capitol. So you represent a very large district. Uh, how, how big are we talking well, it's the size. Uh, it's a fairly large district. Runs all the way from the Canadian border around the periphery of the north, uh, the coastline, all the way down to Hooper Bay. So you go all the way from the Canadian border to the uh, Russian border, and then down almost to Bethel. So, I mean, how how big is that compared to some maybe some state? Uh, it's pretty big. It's not the biggest one though, because Lyman actually has the bigger one because he goes all the way down past the uh, down into on the Aleutian chain all the way halfway to, to Japan. And so in, as far as mileage go, he has the bigger, bigger area. So when you go, uh, I guess call it quote unquote door to door, you're, 
you're flying, right? You're probably going to all these different villages and communities all over the and that's the key that's the key to the campaign was i when i first ran i didn't know what i was doing but i was told you go door to door and at that time i had a 10 seat uh a twin engine airplane that i said i would say to and the thing that validate you was you'd haul i'd haul these relatives out to the different towns like i put an announcement on the cb radio who wants to go to alakanak today go down and see your relatives and i said i got we'll leave after work at five o'clock and i'll have you back by nine o'clock and it was it was just like clockwork they showed up at the airport if you want to go and got onto my out to our terminal there at the airport we had the airplane all gassed and ready to go i'd done the mail run that day and uh when we landed that i wouldn't even be uh having having i wouldn't even have the uh, engine shut down yet and the people would be opening the door and stepping outside saying hello to their family and relatives down there because it was a free ride for them and they're passing out the berry buckets passing out the thermometers passing out the gloves you know all the literature that goes along with it and so they were it was their relatives and family because i didn't know a whole lot of people down there uh but i, I was such, such a different experience when i ran you know such a different experience than anchorage i mean you can literally drive across a district in 10 minutes or less than 10 minutes and you can walk to every house you know, you don't have to really do much. So the di- the rural and urban div- is so different, you know, the district, how they're, how they're laid out. Yeah, the difference between the House and the Senate, though, you may want, hey, there's more action in the House, but you got to run every two years, and that get, gets tiring. That's the one thing, you got you got a four-year term. Yeah, and so you have the time to go ahead and catch your breath and then uh, look at different things in a different way and then get spooled up uh, for, I mean, for your re-election. With the House, I mean, there's already people now talking about Running against some of these House members. Oh, for they're sure. Already, I mean, the just session just started. There's never an end to it. And there are people yeah. are talking about. I'm running against you in 2020. Yeah, you're running. You're always running for re-election. So, so you're a pilot, which probably helps you a lot in that district. And the way we met, we met uh, over the summer, and you had just mentioned that you had bought this uh, very unique plane, a Grumman Widgeon, which is kind of like a a goose but smaller, an amphibious. Um, and and the most interesting thing about that is. Tell me who tell me who that belonged to before you well in the nineties. Oh, uh, well, first of all, the Grumman Goose is a you know nice big bus of an airplane, while the Grumman Widgeon is more of the sports car. So you get that small sports car feeling, and you know, with any sports car, it can get away from you. And one of the things that uh, the previous owner that was there was a guy named Jimmy Buffett. He and was when you said that, I just got because I love I'm a par- <laughs> I'm a parrot head. I love Jimmy Buffett. Oh yeah, for year, years, many years. I never knew who Jimmy Buffett was. My wife had to tell me who he was because I didn't listen to him. I, I thought Jimmy Buffett. Oh, Margaritaville. When, some, when somebody when somebody said, "You know who Jimmy Buffett?" I said, "Sure, I know who Jimmy Buffett." Is. That's a uh, um, yeah. Warren Buffett's brother. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So he's he's a financier. No, no, no. He's a famous rock singer. Well, this is Margarita, Margaritaville. Margaritaville's a big. Was a, there's so many that he's a uh, he's a big he's a big 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 pilot though. Very big pilot. He, and he loves amphibians. Now he's got the biggest uh, Roman amphibian that he has, which is an albatross. I saw that. Yeah, and no, I've I've seen that before. So so he he owned this one you bought, right? He, he did, and unfortunately he had an accident with it when he was taking off from where the because it is fairly tricky, and you can get away from you pretty fast, and it got away from him, and he ended up uh, sinking it and. He got out of it alive, thank God. Uh, but it was one of those things that is a constant reminder that you need to be on your toes when you're flying this machine. And you bought this um, from somewhere on the East Coast, right? And you, you and Oren Siebert, yes. who I met, um, we did a, actually him and I did a podcast over the summer. Oh, you did? Great. Yeah, we did. But you guys, you guys flew 
back from the East Coast, right? Yeah. Last thing I wanted to do after I bought the airplane, and I've been looking for close to 20 years to buy one of these Grumman Widgeons, and it had all the bells and whistles that I wanted. And so I had my wife go out there and take a look at it to give me the nod for it. And so she did, and then we bought it. But last thing I wanted to do was have an accident because you could have, you could just see the headline, State Senator Rex and yeah, Widgeon yeah. or whatever else. So I had Orrin Siebert, who's got 10,000 hours in... Uh, Grumman Widgeons alone because he ran so many of them back in the 40s and 50s and 60s uh, when he was flying out of uh, Bristol Bay uh, in the, when he started Pen Air out there. So he's got lots of Pen Air, a lot of Widgeon time when he was, him and I flew it up together. Yeah, so so you were very kind enough, and it, it is a beautiful plane. You took We met at the Merrill Field, uh, and you took me on a ride, and we flew out, um, I guess, out, uh, what direction do we go? I guess went out, out west. North, west, west, and we landed in that kind of some lake out there. Figure eight lake, yes. And uh, with your kid, that was so much fun. That was just a, such a great, oh, and yeah. I made that video. We made a video of it, mm-hmm. and that that was one of our kind of most viewed video. I mean, it was one of our top videos we did. It must have been because I'd be flying up on the North Slope and said, oh, they, they've seen me up there. So we're seeing what? Well, we see you on, we saw you in the video that was there. I said, which one is that? Oh, the one Jeff Landfield had. Yeah, that was a good, and that was so a lot people, of fun. People and were, it was such a beautiful, um, it's, it's, I must, must have been redone because I've seen some a few over there at International and Anchorage, but they're kind of, I mean, they've been outside for a long time. They, they don't look nearly as nice as yours. Yeah, part of it has they converted six of them to what's called a magnum con- magnum conversion, and those have got 350 horse Lycoming engines on each side, as opposed to the 200 horse uh, Ranger engine that it came out with in, 19, in the 1940s. And so it's got the big engines on both sides. It's got the retractable floats, and has a real nice instrument panel. It's been upgraded to a glass, what they call a glass cockpit. I'll, I'll never forget we we landed on the lake and we came off the step and we the thing sank in. A, I don't know if you it was. Very, uncomfortable feeling because you, you look you look out the window and the water really it's like below you know it's kind of below your waist where you're sitting so you're kind of it's very awkward feeling for me the first time i i did that. part of it has to do with those big engines are heavy and so they they tend to put a lot of weight down on the, down on the float capability of the aircraft so is it is the plane is it back in your home now in gullivan or it spent the summer up there we had a lot of good times flying with it with the family going up to some of the lakes because uh, i don't i do not put it in salt water uh and so we brought it, but for the winter, to, in order to keep it in a hangar, heated hangar, I brought it down to Orange Seabird, and he, he put it in the Pen Air hangar, and that's where it has been for the last several months. That's such a such a fun such a fun plane. So I mean, now we got what's going on now. The house finally just organized yesterday, and uh, that was interesting because that was I think the last time they broke the record from 1981, where it took a lot, you know, basically a month to organize. So and the budget came out Wednesday, and you guys in the finance committee have been really. I've been watching some of your meetings. That seems to be um, kind of the big, the big issue right now is the budget here in the building. It is, uh, and we were warned of it, and we knew the cuts were going to be deep, but I didn't know if they would be deep past the bone down to the bone marrow. And so there's doing away with some significant programs that we feel are unjustified. Uh, in fact, I just had a, a, a meeting with one of the uh, administration's uh, key finance people that came into my office just now. So um, one of the things I heard about was the power cost equalization endowment fund. Uh, and that's really important for your district, right? I mean, that, that basically offsets some of the high energy costs for, for people living out in rural Alaska. Right. The power cost equalization fund was put together by my predecessor, Al Adams, when he was uh, in the legislature. And it, it started out that there was a subsidy that was going to the people in south central Alaska that were getting natural gas out of Cook Inlet. And in order to get that and then the people that 
did not have gas and ha- and could have hydropower. There was a four-dam pool that they put together with money from that in order to make it so that other people throughout the state of Alaska, and especially rural Alaska, and not just out where I come from, uh, but in order to make it so that they had some type of state funding or some type of state assistance in trying to get their electric bills under control, uh, they put together this fund called the Power Cost Equalization. And what it does is much of money has been put in there. They do it like an endowment. They go ahead and get uh, a return on the fund itself, and those funds are being passed out to the r- people not just in rural Alaska, but also along the along the road system that qualify as well, so that it gives them a break for their power that can get fairly expensive. In, instead of having ten twenty cents a, a kilowatt hour uh, that people can afford to have down in the Anchorage Bowl area, the, the people that are paying quite a bit more than that, three or four times as much, if not five times as much, uh, are able to get it from get subsidies from power cost equalization or the pop for the pool. The fund's over a billion dollars. Uh, so I don't think it's quite a billion. I think it's actually 979 million. Okay, I, maybe it's shifted a bit. I checked a while back. Maybe it's could be could be it's right in that area. It's about a, about a billion dollars. So how, I mean how important is that the how important is that to people in your district that are I mean how how much would it's a significant cost savings for them with their energy every every year? Well, I think it's a very significant cost savings, and what I'm afraid is going to happen is that those people that are barely able to exist out there in in Bush, Alaska, especially, where you can, you know, there's a lady up there that I know of that was buying a stove oil by the five-gallon can and bringing it down over to her uh, Toyo stove so you could run it part of the night uh, because you couldn't afford a whole drum of oil. And so and she's got her electric bill, and if you start taking that, chipping that away, I'm afraid she's going to have to move into Anchorage. And when you have people like that that have no skills uh, move into Anchorage, they become essentially migrants that go into the metropolitan area, and if you don't have a skill, and they add to the homeless uh, population that's there, mm-hmm. that's becoming a, more and more of a problem in Fairbanks and Anchorage. So this fund, uh, it, is there anything, it's not, I mean, it's not protected. It can be, it can be tapped into if somebody... If somebody, want, if the governor wants to, or if the legislature wants to, it can be. That's correct, and that's what the governor has essentially done. So, do you, uh, how do you? It's probably not going to go too well here in the next few months with uh, people from you and Senator Hoffman, and even Senator Stedman. I think he represents some areas that um, benefit from the PCE. When there was a when the when the word first got out a, a week ago, we had a meeting with those us three that are on the finance committee: Bert Stedman, who's the chairman; Lyman, who's the former chairman; and myself, who's been on the We've all been on the finance committee ever since we first got into it, and, and Bert Stedman is one of those people who hasn't served in the House either. So we've been there the longest, and uh, you know, to their credit, they were the ones that put the, put that $16 billion nest egg together back when we had high oil prices during the Palin administration, and we were able to sock away into sock away those savings into into the uh, savings funds that we are now li- been living off for the last 10 years after the mm-hmm. bipartisan coalition fell apart. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wrote about that last Sunday. I, I, I heard from a pretty good, I, I write a little bit sometimes different things. And, uh, I heard that Donna Arduin, the budget, new budget director, I heard when, when she came across that fund, her, uh, I wrote, I wrote her mouth started watering. She goes, Ooh, what is that? That's a billion dollars. You know? Um, so what about the other, I mean, you're not really, you don't represent the North Slope area, do you? That's Senator Hoffman, right? No, that's me. That, that is, that is you. Oh, sure. So that's the other big one is the uh, property tax. Uh, Senate Bill 57. In fact, Mike Barnhill and Suzanne Cunningham were just in my office here talking about it. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, to me, when I heard that, I, I have a lot of friends who work in native corporations, and I mean, it's just, I, I can't even 
I mean, I wouldn't even read some of the text messages I've gotten from some. They're so upset. I and mean, understandably so. Very I mean, it's, upset. It's so devastating to the North Slope Borough that's been able to make it so that people up there with a high cost of living are able to stay up there, are able to have schools, able to have able to have uh, health care with the health aides out in the villages. And they don't depend on the troopers at all. They have their own police, or they own their own public safety department, which provides the VPSO equivalent with real officers in those communities as well as in the borough itself or Kuyavik. Well, a couple of days ago, Senator Machiki had asked her, you know, he said that their borough in Kenai, they had cut some spending and they had done really, you know, worked really hard to kind of balance their budget. And uh, he asked her what, you know, how she thought these changes were going to affect cities and boroughs. And I mean, I couldn't believe she said, she said, uh, we, we haven't looked at that. We're, that's not really our responsibility to look at how these changes affect rural, you know, or boroughs and, and municipalities throughout the state. Well, knowing that she has a reputation of coming into states and, and wreaking havoc on the state budgets in, in the state she has been there and then leaving town with a shipwreck in her wake, I'm not surprised she hasn't looked at it. She doesn't really care. I mean, she's there for one thing and one thing only, and that's to cut the budget. And wherever you got money, she will she will go ahead and take it. If you're vulnerable at all and have any kind of financial assistance, she's more than willing to take that. Yeah, it's just, it's, I, I've almost compared it to, like, she's a perfect Bond villain. You know, I saw her wearing, like, a, like a short fur coat. I mean, fur jacket, fur coat, and... You know, it comes in and just like let's let's. Uh, you mean Corilla Deville? Yeah, I, I, that's that's what I that's what I that's what I said. Corilla Deville. Oh, Corilla Deville. Yeah, I, I, that's funny. I thought that's exactly what I said. I wanted to make a video and I wanted to compare. You know, put put, put her in for Corilla Deville. Well, I try and be a little more respectful of of people um, realizing that God loves her just as much as He loves me. Just because we have a different, I, I'd hate to characterize somebody as Corilla Deville because she has <laughs> such a negative negative mind a visual when you think of when I say that name. Well, I just think it's so, you know, frustrating for a lot of people who have been here for, I mean, you've been here, you know, your, your whole life, right? In Alaska? Alaska? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, somebody comes in here, they've been here for two months, and they, they start saying, we, Alaska, our budget, you know, us in Alaska. I think people are just getting very, you know, frustrated. Sure. Um, for someone who doesn't really maybe understand all of the nuances of, of how our state functions. And she doesn't care. And that's, I guess that's the reason you pointed it out, that when she looked at some of the functions that... Uh, Senator Bachiki talked about she didn't didn't know didn't know interest. I mean, I've been here since two thousand four, and sometimes I even feel like I'm not really full of you know Alaskan. Um, well, you, you've splashed down in an amphibious water plane. So I have done that. That check check the box on that. So what else, what else? I mean, budget's obviously the big one, but what else is going on that this session that you're going to be looking at? Or I mean, do you have any things you're focusing on? Or well, I, I think one of the things we'd like to do is go ahead and look at some of the other opportunities that are out there to try and get this budget. Uh, and the finance committee is something that I've been on for the last 20 years. And with Senator Hoffman and Senator Stedman, we're trying to figure out what can we do for the state. And the only, the only, and we have had the experts over the years tell us we cannot cut our way out of this fiscal situation that we are in. Somehow there's got to be some type of revenue source that supplants or supplements the cutting that's going to make it a balanced budget. And so far, the administration seems to be turning a blind eye to that. And so my plan is to try and put together some type of revenue source that we can try and get through the legislature, especially since they've now organized. We know who the who the players are on the other side, what their interests are, what their disdain is toward, and then kind of press ahead for that. So what do you, what, we're, um, with the dividend issue, that's another issue. I mean, I think the people in your district really, I mean, that's a big um, revenue source they rely on um, in some of your, in some of the areas in your district, where, where are you at on the dividend? And as far as the full dividend or using, you know, some of that SB 26, using some of that for the, for the government? Well, I, one of the things I have to say is that the, the 
when Mike Dunleavy was running for for the governor's position, he did a very smart thing, and he promised everybody their permanent fund dividend, and that's they forgot everything else after that. And he, but with the realization, those of us that have been with the state finances for a long time and seen what's going on, when we pointed out to them, and I wrote out a letter to people, constituents in my district, that you know it, it may be one thing to go ahead and get the permanent fund dividend, but they're going to be cuts to your cuts to what's going on out there to power cost equalization to airports that are going to be open, to health and social services, Medicaid in particular, and so, as well as education. Well, he just didn't promise the full dividend. He promised the back pay. So I think a lot of folks were looking for, a, you know, almost $7,000 dividend. And I think that got, I, mean, I know people who said, yeah, you know, they aren't really political. And, sure. you know, and they said, well, I'm voting for that guy. You know, I'm going to get 7000 It reminds me of the Palin days when Palin had uh, the great big relative. The big dividend plus she had the two thousand dollars. Remember the extra? So it was, it was thirty two hundred that year. Exactly. Yep. I remember that was oh eight, and I remember I was, I was pretty young then. I was thinking like, woohoo, that is a great check. You know, <laughs> got real excited about that. So and I'm excited as well. You know, my wife and I we have six children, and so we're looking at, at that. But we're also looking at it from a more responsible standpoint, and that we've got to make sure that we do not cripple the state for years to come by dismantling some of the program some of the safety nets that have been out there otherwise it's going to be very difficult for those people that are not as blessed as i am not as maybe disciplined as i am to go ahead and make a living that makes it so that they can live a fulfilled life as well yeah no, I've, I've just always said you know you can have this big dividend but if the economy is crashing it doesn't really you know it's better to have a job and a stable economy than a big dividend check and then you know everything's kind of havoc I, th- I think the governor has a good idea to a certain degree where he's going to be play- paying on it for a number of years so he doesn't hit the treasure all at one time. But I think he's he's got to look at revenues in order to offset that in the future. Otherwise. And I think maybe some folks don't realize that governor, he, he puts that dividend amount in the budget, but the legislature really is the one who can de- determines the amount of the dividend. And like previous years, you guys um, had set it to, I think it was 1600 last year and previous year it was i I forget but the legislature i mean the governor can't he can't add to it right if you guys reduce his number he can't put money back in right that's correct he can just the legislature can only can can appropriate and he's the only one that can appropriate now he can veto it but he he's the only one that can appropriate we are the the legislature are the only ones that can appropriate it you guys hold the purse right yes so another story i wanted to uh, ask you about so i heard that one day in your plane you were out hunting and did you did you have was it a reindeer or a caribou? Something? You killed it, and then it was in the back. Did it did it did it wake up when you were flying? No, what that's that's that. I mean, it has a flavor of it. But that, I heard that in the hall. I mean, people in the hallway kind of yeah have said that back in 1992. I did the reindeer uh, Hagamish reindeer rescue that was out there, and um, we were so what we were doing was we were corralling had a helicopter and an airplane out, landing on the beach out there. And we were hauling all the all these reindeer from Hagemeister Island into into uh, Goose Creek, and because the Fish and Wildlife Service was going to go ahead and kill all the reindeer, and so I said, I, "Give me a month, and I can take a bunch of reindeer off of there." And that's what we were doing. On the second trip, uh, we were hauling them in and out with a DC three, and that was pretty magnificent. We just watched that DC three from the nineteen forties, you know, come on in there, swoop over, then coming for a landing it was kind of like watching Indiana Jones. That's a great plane, DC three. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's a wonderful. great plane. Holger Jorgensen was the one that was flying, and he happened to be—he's uh, still alive—and was a contemporary of my dad's, coming from Koyuk, Alaska, and so he was the one flying there with Warren Woods, and so they landed with the uh, with the DC three on on the beach, and so one wing was lower than the other one. We loaded the reindeer up. We we're hauling forty 
needed at a time, and we had them all in different compartments. So, so these weren't they, they were tranquil. I mean, they weren't killed. They were tranquilized, or they oh. were just in the back a lot. They were just in the back. They weren't tranquilized because we were afraid they were going to die because we weren't sure what kind of medication. So they weren't tranquilized. They were they were put in the corral. We, we vaccinated them before we transferred them, transported them, and so we loaded them in the airplane. We were up to, I think there was eight reindeer per compartment, and somehow, um, I don't know what happened because we went up there and took a look, and the airplane, airplane was all blacked off in the back to try and keep the reindeer reindeer in the dark so they would kind of be more comfortable and not as irritated because they're rocking around in a 1940s airplane with subject to all the turbulence. Yeah, I'm, sure I'm sure they're terrible. And so what happened was after taking off from the uh, from the beach there, we noticed as they were going on up and gaining altitude in the distance, they were starting to rock around a bit and I figured, well, must be turbulence. And so come to find out later what happened was that one of the deer got out of one of the compartments and the only light that was there was the light that was coming through from the cockpit windows. And the deer went charging for the light. Oh, my God. And all they could hear was this clippity-clop, clippity-clop as they are up there. And they weren't sure what was going on. And all of a sudden, Holger Jorgensen, who was in his mid-70s, was going along. And, and uh, Warren Woods was on the right side. And he had, had just opened up his can of pop. And about that time, this deer came plowing right into the windshield. So it's got the, hor- it's got the horns? Or? No, we had taken the horns oh, okay. off. Okay, wow. Because I was going to say, geez. And so we, yeah, we had to take the horns. What did you do? Do you like, do you start like, did somebody jump on top of it or? Well, they had to get the thing out of it because what happened was he was pawing forward and he was doing that. He'd get the throttle quadrants and pull the throttles back, pull the mixtures back, pull the props back. So the engines were just going, and so, so, uh, Holger protected the throttle quadrants. Warren Woods, who weighs 250 pounds, is big enough in, well, you know, and so he grabbed the reindeer and started pulling him out of the way. And so uh, Holger hollered to him, you got to kill that reindeer. And he said, well, should I shoot him? He said, oh, no, no, you might shoot me instead. <laughs> and so he, so, he, so he pulled out this little knife. And and so he started, oh, okay, just get him in the neck. And they're, you know, they're, they're desperate up there because they're in danger of falling out of the air. And, and so they, they got the knife into him. And then an excited reindeer who has got blood pressure up, he's got a pulse up. I mean, once he got into the artery, that blood went squirting all over the inside of the all over the inside of the... And where, where were you at? You were... I was actually on the ground in the back. I heard about it later. What happened was we were running, running so short of reindeer herders, we had to... We just let them go by himself. And in fact, I asked Holger, can you go with go without a reindeer handling? Oh, yeah, I've been doing this ever since I was a kid. I can handle reindeer. And so now they're in the middle of this fight in the midair at, you know, 10,000 feet or so. So when they... I mean, they landed, there was, there was blood everywhere? The blood anywhere. The blood was up on the windshield. It drained on down to the throttle quadrants. And in those little slits there, it coagulated. So all of a sudden, now they got these throttles and prop controls and mixture controls that are real sluggish because of clotted blood that's down in there. Uh, they eventually landed and were, were okay, but they had a dead reindeer. And, and the uh, one, better, better than you know, dead, you know, everybody else being dead in the crash. Yeah, the one problem that they did run into was that, that was, this was the second trip. The first trip, they snuck it in there. They didn't want anybody around there because we didn't know how many reindeer were going to die. The second trip, the press was ready for them. So as soon as they got wind of them, they went right out to Goose Creek. And, and there was press all over. The TV cameras were there, the radio station. So wait, why were they moving these reindeer again? Uh, because they were going to kill them all off of, of Hagemeister Island. They're going to make it because it's not native to this island. And so oh, they okay. want to kill all the reindeer off. And they said, if you're a reindeer, a reindeer herder and you could prove a way to get them off, you can have them all. So I went down there. And I was. The, but those pilots were just scared to death. Oh, yeah. I think Preparation H was in short supply on that flight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so you're a pilot, you're a reindeer herder. You're, and you're, are you a doctor? 
Yeah, my uh, dad sent me off to medical school back in the 70s, and uh, he was a pilot, obviously. And so he said, you know, what you need to do something else besides just be a pilot. Because uh, he said, I think you ought to go to medical school. And so after I was in high school and I decided to go to medical school, um, partly because my sister got sick one time. I got real sick and she ran a fever. Her fever spiked and she had a seizure, convulsed there and bit her tongue and had, you know, blood was going all over the place. And I was a kid, I was just, a, you know, got on these bright white... It's like epilepsy or... No, just a con- fever, febrile convulsion. Okay. And so she bit her tongue and blood was all over the place. And I thought, I said to my mom, is she going to die? And she said, I don't know, I hope not. And my dad wasn't around to holler to the Nome Hospital. And so, and I remember being so concerned about her dying at that time that uh, I went ahead and decided, she said, I said, well, what's the answer to this? We, well, we need a doctor here. I said, and so then I said, well, I'm going to grow up to be a doctor. And that was the first inkling I had that I was going to go Probably the, go probably to, the go best, best reason to become a doctor. Yeah, um, and it's been a very rewarding experience since then. So did you pra- practice? Did you work in a hospital or on oh, your sure. own, or did you have your own thing? Or? Yeah, 1984, I finished with residency, came up here to Nome, worked up in Nome, and then worked in Cotsby, worked up in Barrow, worked down in Dillingham, and then did some time down in Anchorage. Uh, and my... I, Probably my biggest thing that I've ever done was I did the last C-section there in Nome. And it wasn't so amazing that I did the cutting. It was that we didn't have a nurse anesthetist or an anesthesiologist to go ahead and, and do that. And so we... Oh, my gosh. It was a pretty harrowing experience. So what, why did you decide to go into politics? Were you on local level politics ever? No, no, I never, I've always, I've always either been doctoring, in fact, when I ran, I said, I've delivered your babies and I've delivered your mail, now let me deliver you whatever comes down, come on, let me deliver you from some of these, from the things that we can get, pull out of Juno. Wow, that's like, you can't even, you can't even, that's the best slogan ever. <laughs> and delivered so, your babies, delivered your mail, let me, let me deliver you results d- from d- Juno. Deliver for you from Juno. Wow, yeah. that's, uh, you couldn't, you couldn't write that, I mean, script that, that's great, that's a great slogan. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, did, did practice medicine down here, or I practiced medicine there in, there in, you know, did the colds and earaches and all those things, and people with back aches as they get older, and arthritis as well as... Didn't you, uh, was it last year, a couple of years, didn't somebody, uh, somebody collapsed here, and you came and helped, helped them out, a member? Was that you? Yeah, there's been a number of times that people have collapsed. There was the one gunshot wound that happened, gunshot that happened across the way. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, there was a gunshot that was we heard. Um, that actually, the staff heard and came down and said, "There's been a gunshot, and a lady had shot her. A lady got gotten shot uh, just outside the courthouse." Oh my! So you you helped out? Yeah, while I was there, I, the lady was dead by the time we got there. Oh, jeez! Both Steve Dingle and myself ran across there to try and see what we could what do. What was that? Yeah, maybe four oh, years I don't ago. Remember hearing about that? Didn't, I mean, I thought I heard, didn't somebody, I forget who it was, a year or two ago, they collapsed and the committee, I mean, they were, something was wrong and they, I yeah. remember you came, they asked you to come help out or, Guttenberg, yeah, Guttenberg, right? And then no, Senator, Senator Giesel came by because she's a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah, the one that I remember was the one, that, and that's the one that was on camera the most that I can remember was the one when uh, the senator from Fairbanks actually was uh, invited up to go ahead and be at the finance committee. No, he wasn't on the finance committee, but he was there and... Um, I heard somebody from, as we're all in finance looking at the chairman, I heard somebody from the uh, gallery holler out his name, and it's, people don't talk from the gallery. That's not a, 
that's not allowed. But so I looked over at who they called for and saw the guy. He was just great. And I thought he, I thought he had had a heart attack or and was going to die and was, and was dead. He fell over to, into one of the other committee men and then fell to the floor. And so, um, I went over and checked on him and Senator Bundy, who was on, who had fallen into, checked his pulse on his on his wrist and said, "I don't feel a pulse. We need to get, we need to get ready to get." Uh, uh, compression, chest compressions to start uh-huh. pumping on his chest. And I said, well, you know, realizing that you can pump on somebody's chest and if their heart is beating, you can actually stop it. Right, yeah. I, I did a carotid pulse and I felt in his neck and he did have a pulse. And so we were able to raise his legs and and then... Uh, what, happened, what happened? Was it a heart attack or was it... No, he. I'm not sure what happened but because, because by that time the paramedics had been called and they came pretty fast up to the, up to the Capitol and took him out of there. So if I, if I ever... Go down here in the Capitol. I hope you're around. Well, come 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 help me out. If I ever... <laughs> here's here's what I did was, I as as I was sitting there, him watching gray turn gray and become gray and then fall over, I was looking at that and I said, "It's okay, Todd." Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I looked at him and I said to myself, "You know, this guy looked like he's dead. No matter what what happens, if he's dead, I can't bring him back to life. I'm not God. And so why should I even go over there? Because if he's dead and I do something wrong, the family's going to sue me, and I don't have any malpractice insurance. So all these thoughts are going through my yeah, mind. Yeah, because you're a doctor, right? You're a doctor. Yeah. So I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I'll just stay right here. And then I thought to myself, God, if I let's say he doesn't die, and then I didn't come over to help him, it's caught on TV. They're watching me. Mm-hmm. And so you know, all the money that people put into the uh, program for, for me to go to medical school. Um, so I went on over there and helped him. But here's what I thought: as I looked down on him. And I won't say his name, but I looked at this guy and I thought, you know, how many, he's the chairman of a committee, how many bills of mine has he held in his committee? (laughs) And what's even worse, I know he's a used car salesman, and, you know, I'm not sure that God looks very fondly at used car salesmen. (laughs) Shall I get involved? And and so those things were flashing through my mind, and then, of course, he... We had the exchange with Con Bundy, and he came out alive. And he made us good. Well, it's good to hear. Yeah, and the nice thing about it was, he uh, when I got married, I got married in in Fairbanks there, and uh, he lent me a number a number of cars so that my wedding uh, train wedding party could go ahead and get around. It. Got married at his church. Kind of full circle there, huh? It, it came full out. circle. Part of the reason we chose his church was they had a they had a. Um, parking lot big enough so I could have a helicopter there. So when we left the church, went to the reception, we walked out to the helicopter, I lifted off in the helicopter, and my wife and I, because we'd been married by then, then went on over and landed at uh, Pike's Landing for the uh, reception. So it was a, it was one of those things that just, like you Sounds said, like a great, yeah, great. Comes full circle. Great memory. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Senator Olson, I want to thank you for doing the, the pod your office. I got to say, I, asked, I came in here once, once before, and I said, you, how long have you been in here for? And you just, you just came in this office, right? Yes. It looks like you've been in, I mean, all the cool stuff you have in here, it looks like you've been in here for a long time. Well, all thanks the, very much for noticing. Got the antlers there. You got the, what is that, a ram? No, that's actually a muska. Or muska, okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of my reindeer there. A lot of cool stuff in here. I, uh, I, like, I, like, the, I like the other offices I've been to. They're a little more, not, not as exciting. So sure. I, I, like, I like your office. The baleen basket and things like that. The whole deal. Well, I want to thank you again, Senator Olson. I know you're very busy, so. Sure. Thanks for taking the time. And, Speak, uh, okay, I tell you one thing. Oh one yeah, of, one of my prized positions in this in this office is also Walrus's prized position. If you look up there at that Uzik, and everybody uh, knows what an Uzik is, yeah, there it is. And but the unusual thing about that Uzik is that it's been broken. 
So you had a 10,000 pounds of thrust going one way and 10 pounds of thrust going the other way. They obviously broke the broke the uzuk. The uzuk, the, the young male walrus, though, that had it, he healed it back over, and I hear he went on and had another bunch of kids, a bunch of pups, uh, walrus pups afterwards. So very, that's my prized possession is that that healed uzuk over there. Sounds like a very committed walrus. <laughs> yeah, Probably that could be like a fertility uh, <laughs> uzuk right there. All right, Senator Olson, I want to thank you again for taking the time, and I know you're very busy, so I'm sure it's going to be a very lively uh, next few months here in Juneau. Sure. Thank you. Thanks again. And uh, folks, if you have any ideas for podcasts or want to listen to a certain podcast, uh, let me know. Thanks for listening. Landline.